Hi, I'm Liam Ford, founder and CEO of The Zone, and welcome to another episode of The Zone podcast, where I interview really interesting people from entrepreneurs to CEOs to coaches to trainers from all around the world, and hopefully bring you some great content to listen to on your morning walk or on a drive to work or climbing a mountain. So today's guest is a very special guest, David Key. He's an NLP practitioner. He's done hypnotherapy. He's uh, done a lot. His mantra is about serving humanity and helping people become well and flourish and thrive. And I think you're going to find this episode really, really inspiring, really, really interesting. And maybe for many of you, you'll find it as the missing link for a happier life, a happier, more fulfilled life. So without further ado, let's go over and listen to what David has to say. Hey, David, uh, welcome to The Zone podcast. I'm really excited about having you on uh, on our call because I know that not only are you an Amazon number one bestseller for your book, Joyride, but you're also an NLP coach. You're a, well, I don't, a guru, you're a hypnotherapist. I mean, you, you, and you, you've delivered countless value to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. So what an exciting story. And I know the listeners will be plugging their earphones in, taking a walk and getting into that beautiful listening state. And getting a lot of value out of this out of this podcast. So hey, thanks very much for uh, taking the time because it's not early where you are. It's early where I am, and it's not early where you are. So I really hope so, Liam. And thank you for inviting me. I uh, I hope I've got something of value that I can share today. You never know, do you? How it's going to come out? You never look. You never know. That's a bit like life, right? Life's not a straight line, as I always say. It's a bit of a wiggle. Managing life's challenges, or as you put it to me, transcending life's challenges having the tools to transcend life's challenges is really the, the game we're here to play. So I'd love to hear a bit about the backstory. Like how, how did yeah. you get into this business? I'll take you back to school. So I was born in the 60s, 1967. My mum was young and my father left home when I was four. So I effectively was a deemed to be from a broken home. And, and my f mother and father really struggled with their own mental health. And I effectively was like a pawn in a in a chess match being passed from pillar to post. And this isn't a poor me story, just sort of setting the scene. So I had mm. two parents that were struggling with their own mental health, arguing and fighting all the time. And I ended up going to nine different schools. And uh, I got to the stage where a number of those schools, the headmaster um, suggested it would be a good idea if I left. So... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was uninvited from a number of those schools and got to the stage where I was extremely disengaged and left home when I was 17 and um, set out on a journey, which took me from working in McDonald's um, to start with because I had no academic qualifications at the time. I worked in McDonald's and, and worked in a couple of pubs, um, just earning money to pay the rent. And um, yeah, life was fun. I really didn't see it as a problem that I was doing that such a young age. But what I didn't realize was I was permanently living in a feeling of anxiety. Mm. I just didn't know it. It was like wearing a pair of shoes, you know. Eventually, you don't know they're on your feet until you take them off. And yeah. it's like that, oh, that's better. 
So I was living a feeling of anxiety because of, you know, having to fend for myself. I didn't know how to cook, <laughs> iron a shirt. So I had to sort of learn as you go. And it eventually got me to the stage where I ended up in a job on the telephone, telesales. Tele and I had a fascination for music and I loved DJing and the radio and all those sort of things. So it was sort of setting me up and I didn't even realize for my next big role, which was I left the telesales company at the age of 20. And I applied for a job working for a, an IT company, a software house or systems house, as we called it, because they did software and IT hardware. And I ended up working for a managing director. His name was David Chambers. What a beautiful man he was. And he had total faith and belief in me as a 20-year-old that he took me on as the first salesman in that company. And that company grew over the next six years. And I was fortunate enough to, when offered the opportunity, do you want to work with hardware, Dave, or would you like to sell software? And I went, oh, I don't know, so that's software which was fantastic because the, mar the margins were like 90% because they developed their own software. Whereas if I'd have pick picked hardware, um, within a couple of years of me working in that industry, hardware became a commodity and there was no margin in it. So you'd have to shift a load of boxes just to hit your target. Right. So uh, I was, it was fortuitous. And that took me, I, eventually that company got into a struggle. So I I left that company and I was actually approached by the former managing director of Apple. So Peter Cobb was the MD of Apple in the 1980s and early 90s he left. I became his uh, sales director. That was in the UK, right, David? Yeah. That was in the UK, yeah. So we worked out of Holborn. We had offices down there and I was selling software into UK PLC companies. So speaking with CEOs, company secretaries, finance directors. And it was all around the employee share schemes like employee benefits. So we had the technology that um, took the pain away of having to manage those uh, schemes inside a company and hiring loads of people to crunch the data so we could produce tax returns things. So it was a great bit of, bit of software and we did really well selling loads and loads. And then I got to the point where I needed a new challenge. I moved into another company which ended up me traveling all around the world working with Nokia. Mm. Nokia Networks. So it was two two parts of their business. Predominantly, one was the mobile phone side and the other was the network infrastructure. So they'd be putting in the infrastructure for people like, you know, T-Mobile and Orange Communications, Orange, which is now EE in the UK. And we sold software for managing that. So I loved it. But unfortunately, that company um, got into some financial difficulty. And I was at the age where I was really struggling with my own mental health again still lots of anxiety i'd carried it all the way through my life and i didn't even realize it i went down the slippery slope of self-medication the company was getting into difficulties with their finances and i said you know what why don't you just pay me off it'll save you quite a lot of money and uh, i'm going to take that i'm going to retrain you see a number of years earlier at that particular point in time a number of years earlier i became fascinated with hypnosis mm. I saw a friend called Russell, a friend of mine. We went to Blackpool in the north of England. It's almost like a, um, a coastal resort. Yeah. There was a show on, and it was a hypnotist. <laughs> now, Russell was really shy, really shy, reserved guy. He'd never had a girlfriend, and we were in our 20s. He didn't even have the, um, the courage to ask somebody out on a date. 
Or even if they, you know, would you like a cup of coffee? So he was so shy that when we went to this show, we sat at the back of the 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 theatre. <laughs> yeah, I don't, want to, I don't want to be near the front, but it, but it was it wasn't it wasn't theatre style. It was more cabaret style. So lots of t- round tables all the way through this theatre, and we were on a table of four. And the hypnotist did uh, what we call in the industry a, a suggestibility test. So he got everybody to put their hands together and clasp the hands and. He started, you know, use your imagination, but the more you try to release your hands, the tighter they're going to go. And anyway, Russell did this, and then the hypnotist said, right, okay, release your hands. And there were a few people in the audience that couldn't release their hands, and Russell was one of them. Wow. He was like, oh, my hands are stuck together. <laughs> Which means, really, he's highly suggestible. Highly suggestible. So the hypnotist basically said, oh, if you've got your hands clasped together, come up on stage. And it was like a robot getting out of his chair, walking up on stage. And what happened in the next hour just blew my mind. I was like, how is this possible? Russell was up there drinking like a pint of vinegar, thinking it was his favorite apple juice without any physiological reaction. Wow. Eating an onion, thinking it's a peach. And playing all silly shenanigans on stage. And at one point, there was an interval. And the hypnotist touched Russell on the shoulder and said, you know, when you go back to your seat, you're going to open your eyes and go back to your seat. He hadn't brought him out of a trance. So eyes open trance. And he said, when I, when you hear this piece of music, and then they played a couple of bars of music. He said, when you hear that music, you're going to get up out, out of your seat. And you're going to go up to the first woman that you set your eyes on. And you're going to go up to her and you're going to start chatting her up. And uh, that's what happened. It was so surreal. No way. We're sitting there having a, having a pint, you know, having a chat, going, Russell, are you really hypnotized? Are you playing along? And then this music comes on. He goes, excuse me, I've got to go. And he gets up and just walks over to the first woman he saw. He said, do you want a drink? And it was at that point I'm like, nah, that's, there's no way. What a story. So then I started reading about it. Yeah, it was it was wonderful because it set me off on the on this journey of curiosity and I I didn't realize that I was a seeker. Mm. If you were to read the philosophy of Joseph Campbell and his book A Hero's Journey, he would point they say, you know, we've got seekers or heroes and villagers. And I didn't realize but I for pretty much most of my adult life I've been out looking for what is the secret source to happiness because I couldn't find it in the millions and millions of dollars of sales that I was doing. It wasn't in that. Growing a business and having a successful business, well, that it's not in that either. I couldn't understand how these successes and good sales numbers and lots of clients, and I was still not enjoying life to what I thought was possible. Mm, wow. So that's been the journey up to uh, well, about 10 years ago. So here's what happened. So I've been selling online courses. You know, I created um, an online course and just ended up selling it via Groupon and then eventually selling hundreds of thousands. I remember when Amazon Local launched it in America, it sold like a thousand units, like thousand customers bought one of my programs in like two hours or something like that it was just crazy that's so cool but yeah i still there was still something not quite right and at the same time you know entrepreneurs leaders in business head of sales whatever it is you do we we focus men and women but men it's it seems to be uh, well at least from my own point of view it was like trying to prove something right trying to get somewhere not realizing that that was the cause of a lot of the suffering. And what had happened is I was so focused on work and growing and building that I forgot about the other areas of my life. I had a couple of children. 
a wife, friends. And I'd become so self-absorbed that that area of my life started to fall apart. One day I woke up and discovered that there was more than one person in our marriage. And that freaked me out. And uh, um, I looked on my bookshelf and there was not one book on relationships in there. So I didn't know what to do. And then one morning I woke up and I, I found an old client. I explained to her what was happening. And I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you want to get this book called The Relationship Handbook by Dr. George Pransky. So I did. I read it. Made no sense to me whatsoever. Then I phoned her back and she said, how did that help? I went, didn't do anything for me. She said, well, he's got an online course. Why didn't you do that? So I did. And I'm doing this online course one evening. It was only about eight hours. Mm. And what, I was listening to a story about how the mind really, really works. Not models or theories or ideas, but truth. Right. What causes and creates human experience. And by human experience, I mean, you know, what causes us to feel the way we're feeling? Mm. And he said that people don't know. The world of psychology seems to be going backwards. We're regressing in terms of our understanding. And this is applicable to leadership, team development. If we don't understand what creates our human experience, what creates our feelings and emotions moment to moment, then we're going to suffer. And we are suffering. Mental health is at a, you know, it's like going backwards exponentially. Mm. People in businesses, leaders, entrepreneurs, the pandemic, that isolation that people experience, the number of suicides going up, teenagers self-harming, eating disorder. I mean, it's just crazy. And I'm not a psychologist, by the way. Remember I said I didn't get any qualifications. <laughs> but you care by the sounds of it. I care. Yeah, I do care. Because I was brought up by two parents who struggled. My father was an alcoholic. My mother was suicidal. And both of them ended up in therapy for years. And so did I. Getting therapy, not realizing that that was the gateway to more suffering. Mm. What is it that I discovered? So I'm watching this online course and my wife comes in. She says, what are you doing? So I'm watching, um, I'm watching this course from a guy who's teaching how the mind really works. And she said, can I watch it? I said, why are you interested in watching this? You've never been interested in any of my work. She said, well, I, I, I'd like to see what you're watching. I was like, okay. Being a bit friendly. <laughs> Things were tough, you know. Yeah, but attention. I was like the Iceman. <laughs> and she sat down. This was like the second hour of this training. She came in like, missed the first piece. And she was heard a metaphor. And I'm going to share the metaphor with you if we've got time. We have. We've got time. Yeah, of course. So, so the metaphor is this. She sat down and I'm sitting there watching this guy. And he says, you know, human beings, their reality is created via three fundamental principles. And the only way to really describe these principles is with analogies or metaphors. Because like any principle, like gravity, which is a principle, you can't see it, but you can see a leaf falling from a tree or an apple, or you could drop your tea and spill it on the carpet. <laughs> gravity did that, right? Gravity did that. Without gravity, that wouldn't have happened. So we know it exists, and we know it's the principle. It can't be cut into any smaller pieces. It is what it is, whether you like it or not. Whether you're a good person or a bad person, if you're standing on the top of a building and you stepped off, you're going to hit the ground. So it makes sense. So he's describing principles. He said, well, there are three fundamental principles that create the human experience. And if you don't know, it's a bit like not knowing about gravity. You might step off, <laughs> you know, the edge. Yeah. 
Cool, I don't know. I might float. <laughs> no, there's a thing called gravity, Dave. I can't see it. It can't be true. Well, I'm afraid there are three fundamental principles creating all human experience that you can't see, but they are true. And the only way to know that is through self-realization to see the fact that all human beings create their experience via the gift of thought. Everything we experience is coming to us via thought. Mm what we're thinking in the moment. We don't have a future and we don't have a past, but when we go for help, often we go over the past as if it was real. We actually only have this moment in time. So when people suffer, it's because they're experiencing a memory and they're indulging themselves in it innocently. It's not their fault. So when we're sitting on the sofa and he says, look, the best way to describe these principles is if you think of a movie projector, mm. and here's the metaphor. You need energy to power a projector. So you plug it in or you put, put a battery in it, but it needs energy. Mm -hmm. Makes sense? Makes sense, totally. So, so that's one of the principles of the human experience. Without energy, life force energy, you wouldn't experience anything. You wouldn't have a good day. You wouldn't have a bad day. You just wouldn't exist. So all human beings, moment, even when they're sleeping, they need life force energy. So it's a fundamental principle. Energy is everything. Then the next thing you need is you need a movie. Otherwise, nothing's going to go onto the screen. It's just going to be a big white blank screen. So you've plugged in your projector. Now you've got to put a movie in it like a DVD. Mm. But before you do that, you might think, well, I need to, um, I need to write a story, write a movie. I need to have a genre. What movie are you going to play inside this projector? Your mind. <laughs> a tragedy? A scary horror movie? I mean, right now, geez, look at the world right now. You could easily play a scary movie now, couldn't you? Exactly. There's so much insecurity. Well, you see, here's the thing. We are all, every human being on planet Earth is living in a separate reality. No one thinks like you. No one experiences what you're experiencing. There are no exceptions. If we took a 7 billion people and shrunk it down, let's just make it because we can't get a room big enough. So let's make it 100 people. Take 100 people and put them in a room and give them an easel and a blank piece of paper to paint a picture. And then you put someone in the middle sitting down. Say, right, paint that person. You're going to have a hundred different pictures. Absolutely. No one's going to paint the same picture because everybody's reality is separate, is different. So how we experience thought, okay, is effectively human beings unconsciously are writing a tragedy. They read the news. Oh, my God, it's, not, it's going to be terrible. There's going to be a war. There's going to be this. I'm going to run out of money. We're not going to be able to eat. There's going to be riots. And we create this from our external narrative, but we create this story unconsciously. It's like we're the script writer of a movie. And then what we do is we, we go, oh, that's not very scary. So we make it worse. We distort it. <laughs> we blow stuff out of all proportion. Yeah, we, we delete the good stuff. Well, I can't, I can't have me happy on that day. Why not? Well, it's a tragedy yeah. or it's a, it's a horror movie I'm creating. That's not scary. Let's make it worse. So what do you do? Well, you've edited it. You, so you're the script writer. You're also the editor because you've edited your own narrative, your own story about whatever's going on in your world that's a struggle. Well, it could be a joyful movie, mm. but let's talk struggle. Let's talk something that's practical because so many people are. 
So unconsciously, we've we've created this movie, uh, this this script rather. We've passed it to the editor, which happens to be us, and we edit and delete and distort and generalize stuff in there to fit the genre of the horror movie that we've created. Then what happens? Well, we need to like all good Hollywood blockbusters. We need to give it to the special effects department. <laughs> Right. So like, well, how do, how do we, what do we do there? Well, what is the special effects? Well, it's consciousness. You see, that's the other principle. Mm. The movie is, the movie is thought, the characters in the movie, that's all thought. So we've got energy. Mm-hmm. We have the movie that we create, the script and consciousness will go, okay, we'll take that via the senses. And bring it alive. Wow. Whatever you're thinking, whether you like it or not, whether you like the feeling or don't like the feeling. So what happened was he, he was describing that metaphor, and I'm sitting on the sofa, and Anna just changed right in front of my eyes. Wow. She looked at me, tears strolling, streaming down her eyes. You know, this would have happened no matter who, because I realized I had a story that I've run in my mind about relationships since I was 12 years old. Hmm. Because what he said that really nailed it in this video and the way I describe it to my clients and students, he said, you know, once you've kicked in the special effects, whatever your story is will play out in your reality. It will feel so real because that's the magic. So not only are you in the movie, a character in your own movie that you've written this tragedy or this horror movie or love story is you're the audience. Wow. So you're the audience as well. Absolutely. That's all you ever experience moment to moment. If, if that's one thing people could take away from this is that all human experience is created by the gift of thought. Mm. And if you think about the thoughts that are flowing in your mind and they don't feel good, they're icky, they're off, then stop it. Mm. Because thought, what a lot of people haven't seen is thought is transient. Nobody can predict what they're thinking in five minutes from now. That's why I say, no, I don't do thought management courses. <laughs> you can't, but because you, you can't manage your thoughts. They just come, right? Mm. Because... They just come out of the blue. We are thinking creatures. We have thoughts flowing through our mind because of the energy in our body. We're alive. That's a good thing. And they come 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can't switch your thoughts off. Because if you did, you wouldn't experience anything. So even when you're asleep, you're thinking. You have dreams. Mm. That's just a night thought. But most people, when they have a nightmare... They have that horrible feeling. That's demonstrating the power of a thought. Absolutely. And the thought-feeling connection. Yeah? So we wake up. We go, oh, the next-door neighbor stole my lawnmower. <laughs> be a good thing And then me. you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, get someone else yeah. to it. But I was like, then you go, oh, my God, it was just a dream. And then you sort of reorientate yourself, and you look at the clock, and you go, bloody hell, it's 3 a.m. I'm going back to sleep. And you forget about it. Because you know it's just a dream. But what is it about human beings, people in business, leaders, um, whole populations? What is it about the fact that we've forgotten that when we have a scary experience in the day, 
It's no different from a nightmare at night. They're both thought. They're both dreams. And people get hypnotized by their own thinking. So if any leader wants to have, uh, in my view, a high-performing team, if that team can just understand where their experience is coming from moment to moment and can see there is nothing outside of them, nothing outside of them that can affect their human experience apart from getting lost in thought, falling asleep, and not realizing your suffering is arbitrary. For me, that was such a wake-up call that I looked at Anna and I was like, she's changed. And then I, because I was a modeler at the time, that was like very much NLP days. Mm. I was rewinding the video. What did he say? Did he hypnotize her? <laughs> what, what, what happened? <laughs> why, why don't I feel any different? You see, this is the problem. One person can hear what I'm saying and another person might not. Yeah, exactly. Because they've got too much of a busy mind. The art to uh, transcending our challenges is really having a, a good understanding of what creates the human experience. And there's a real simple test you can do. You can go up to the next person who's stressed out of their minds or have anxiety or depressed or angry about something and ask them, you know that feeling you have right now? Where's it coming from? What's creating it? Mm. And I haven't heard anybody say, well, Dave, it was thought in the moment that's transient, didn't you know? It was just coming in and I got wrapped up in me thinking for a moment, but I just knew in the deepest recesses of my soul and my heart that if I just left it alone, it would float on by. Yeah. And I was back in the game. Most people go, well, it's my boss. He's an ass. He made me feel that way. Yeah. Or so-and-so did this, or it's the recession. The minute you buy into that, narrative you've just created a story and you're now the audience enjoying it frozen like a rabbit in headlights because there's a recession coming this is a great opportunity for leaders to embrace the downturn i'm sure and find that inner resolve through the innate resilience that all human beings have it's there freeze dried you just got to get access it. and how do you do that think less mm. you know for me Walk in nature, mm. get present. Like I was so not present. No wonder my marriage was on the brink. And we've got a great relationship. We both understand this. It's just our kids understand it. They, they've become like Teflon. Wow. What a great gift, huh? They really do. Isn't it amazing? But here's the, here's the irony. Every human being on planet Earth already knows this. They just forgot. They really forgot. You know, we come into the world uncontaminated mm. and then we just collect a lot of erroneous ideas <laughs> along the way thinking this is our life work. <laughs> yeah. And we're wrong most of the time. I am now tears too. I mean, crumbs, I don't know how this works, Liam, but I do know my experience. If I'm having a good day, I know it's just a low mood and my thinking and thought quality of my thoughts. It's like the sewage coming down <laughs> the river. Oh, God, it's a shit day today, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but it's okay because if you just allow rivers to do what rivers do, it'll wash it away eventually and then you'll just feel better again. Yeah. And there's nothing to do. There's nothing to do. There's no intervention technique. You don't need medication or self-medication. You just need to find a peaceful feeling. And that's all human beings, in my view, are looking for. All your teens, what they really want is they want to feel good 
And when they're not feeling good, they want to know that they're going to be okay and to be hopeful. Yes, absolutely. Wow, what a <clears throat> what a great story. What a great story, David. And, and so well spoken. And I love the metaphor, the analogy. I have a little philosophy that I've lived by for many years, which is called shit happens, suffering is optional. Yeah, <laughs> and, it is. We don't always remember. No. Or we've just heard it. It's just a cliche. Or we read it in a book. Oh, suffering's optional. And we go, yeah, but it's all right for you. You haven't had so-and-so just, you know, or this yeah, happened. Exactly. Or that problem. Play the, play so you, you don't really understand. <laughs> yeah, it is. And we get stuck. It's like it gets stuck like those old vinyl records, yeah. you know, when they had a scratch. Yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, let's... It's let's, like the same old. But let's, let's binge watch this movie of tragedy again. <laughs> Everybody is innocent. They just don't know they've, they're doing that. I didn't know that I wasn't present when I was with my wife and she was asking me a question. I was listening with one ear and the rest of my consciousness was focusing on an, an internal reality that didn't exist. I was making stuff up, what I need to do tomorrow. Mm. Human beings aren't very good at predicting the future, are they, Liam? <laughs> Otherwise, we would have known COVID was coming. Yeah, we can't even predict, predict the weather after a hundred and something years, can we? Exactly, exactly. So how can we predict what we're going to be thinking or doing in five minutes from now? Yeah, we might have a schedule in our calendar and we think we're going to have a meeting, but the, you know, life has a funny way of dishing out stuff that we don't want, yeah. that is unexpected. So for me, the lesson for all of us leaders is to be present and enjoy every moment as best you can. And yeah, use your intellect to go off and solve problems. But if you can't resolve a problem in business within 15 minutes in your own mind, because you've got a supercomputer between your ears, then you don't know the answer. It's like searching for a document on your hard drive that's never been there. Mm. You'll never find it. So what, what is available to us as leaders and as teams? Well, what's available to everybody is innate wisdom, the capacity for new thought, a new idea, a new solution. And you're not going to get that if you're shaking up your snow globe, hoping that that's the way you're going to get clarity. You have to put it down and let the snow settle. You have to go for a walk, leave your business, get away from your desk, your computer, have a shower, go on holiday. All those insights, all those solutions to problems that human beings thought were insurmountable came to them when they weren't thinking about them yeah it's amazing isn't it it's amazing you know in the in the, that, in the research yeah. on flow it's the same thing if you stay in struggle you'll never get to flow you have to release you have to do something different take your mind That's off. It. everybody's had that experience i know it's a universal experience where someone goes they hears a hear a, a record or a tune on the radio and they go i know this one from uh, a couple of years ago what is it um Oh, I know it, I know it, I know it. And you hear them struggling. <laughs> and they do know it. It's ever there. they they got to let it go. Yeah. And then it's like the following morning at breakfast, like, oh, I know that song now. That was Band-Aid. Was it Live Aid? <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. It's just that human beings, everybody has the capacity for new thought. And all human beings that are suffering are really, unfortunately, just innocently um, stuck in an insecurity that is created via these three principles that I've talked about. 
And when hum- all human beings, they don't need to actually know anything other than get a realization, get an insight. Oh, it is true. My anger is thought. You see, because I've finished off the loop, the story, mm. Liam. So my wife had this transformation and turned to me and said, you know, we're going to be okay. And she said it with such love in her heart. Mm. But my my ego was still rubbed up the wrong way, you know. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, <laughs> and, it, and my thoughts in my head were like, well, I don't know yet if I've even decided that we are going to be okay. You know, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, how did she get it? I haven't how decided did she get yet. it before me? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. How, yeah, exactly. How did she get this understanding before me? I mean, this was my job to help people. And I didn't realize I was innocently causing more suffering. Mm. Well, there's, there's a couple of analogies that I could give you, but just to finish off that story. So it was three months that everything was improving, but I still had remnants. It's like some people would say PTSD or, you know, I was still getting flashbacks about what happened and feeling that rage. And one day I'm, I'm in my kitchen and I'm making a cup of tea and the kettle was boiling and I'm pouring water into the teacup on top of a tea bag because I'm a Philistine. <laughs> so I'm pouring, this hot, I'm pouring this hot water in the tea bag and I felt this overwhelming sense of rage wash over me. How could she do that? I can't believe. And I was furious at my wife. And then I had an, the most hilarious insight. It just came to me. I went from anger to absolutely hysterical on my own in the house because here was the insight. And you might go, well, that's a bit obvious. There's me feeling sorry for myself. Poor me. How could this happen? Blah, blah, blah. Angry. And then, boom, right between the eyes, I got a little whispering in the wind, a little voice in my head go, she's not even in the fucking house. (laughs) And I'm like, hang on a minute. It's true. She's not here. She's out shopping with the kids. She wasn't even in the house, and I was furious at her, and I saw in that moment, it's true. You experience what you're thinking about. That's it, period. There is nothing else. So if we can see that that's true, which happened to me in that moment, that's called an insight. No one put it in my head. It just it sort of came from inside of me. The answer's already there for everybody. You just have to see it. Or hear it. In my case, I heard it. Your wife's not in the house. She can't possibly be making you angry. Mm. And then I went, Oh my God, it's true. I'm doing this to myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at that movie watching and experiencing the feelings that the special effects team are creating. My consciousness was bringing thoughts alive in the moment. And that's all that was happening. Mm. And I think if we can all, if we can all get to the space where we can see that that's true for ourselves, then can you imagine how much more harmony you'd have in teams? Oh wow, that would be. They might have all the same values, but if they really actually understand that values are just thoughts too, ideas, stories that are important to us, and they come with a good feeling when we honour them, but also when a team understands that John, who's pissed off because the project missed a deadline and he's ranting. He's just having a low mood and some crappy thinking. That's all. People become more humble. People become more forgiving. They don't get rubbed up the wrong way 
always. Sometimes they do because they forget. Yeah. People forget, you know. But can you see the logic? If we know where our feelings are coming from and they can never, ever come from the outside world. Now, shit can happen in the outside world. Bad stuff can happen. Bombs and stuff can be going off in our neighborhood. And people would go, well, are you saying that that's not creating that person's suffering? I would say, well, from a, was, as long as they're not being hurt physically, I'm talking about psychological suffering, mm. then some people suffer and some don't. You tend to find the people that don't suffer tend not to get wrapped up in the memories that come to mind, flashbacks. And the ones that do haven't seen that that would be like trying to, you know, re-break your leg halfway through the healing process and hoping that that will speed up the healing process. Absolutely. It's crazy. That's for me why talk therapies can be, um, in some cases it can be helpful, but talking about our past as a gateway to healing in the now is just doesn't make sense to me mm. because the past doesn't exist. So if you can't change the past because it doesn't exist, how on earth is that going to be helping you in the now? What is really helpful is you're transcending your problems by seeing it's just thought. Yeah. And thought will heal on its own if you let it. It's like the itch on a scab. You know, if you keep scratching, it's going to slow the healing process down. If you keep talking about your problems, you're effectively engaging in putting energy into those thoughts that need to leave. Yeah, let them go. And be healed. It's so appropriate that you, you're you talking about this, Dave, because um, I was listening to my Future of Farashing uh, course this morning, which is, which is all about this. And there was a mm -hmm. guy there called Mark Pollock, and he was telling his story how he was, you know, a young athlete, and then he... He had detached retina problems and became blind, but he, he refused mm -hmm. to let that get in the way. So he then became a ultra marathon runner. <laughs> he, he ran, wow. he ran uh, seven ultra marathons or something. And then he ran to the North Pole, uh, just in crazy stuff. And then he was visiting his friend's place and uh, he was in an un, unfamiliar room. And instead of, he was running his hand along the wall and instead of, he, he fell out of a third story balcony and then became paralyzed. So Jesus, you know, what a story. And, and the guy got up and he's now doing this research on how to use exoskeletons and how to bring back movement to people who are paralyzed. I mean, he has every right <laughs> to wallow in a, in a story of, you know, tragedy and yeah. loss and, but he's choosing his story to be different. Well, that's it. You see, because if you don't understand the nature, and some people intuitively get and understand where their experience is coming from, but most people who are suffering don't, otherwise they wouldn't suffer as yeah. much. Wow. If they, if they really knew. If they, re if they really, really knew. So, I mean, I've got a, in my pro, one of my coaching programs uh, an Olympic gold medalist, para, a para-Olympian. Mm. And his story is very similar. It's amazing. He... He was, uh, I think it was abroad somewhere, uh, foreign country with his friend driving a car and they rolled down a mountain Ouch. and he ended up, you know, waking up at the bottom of the mountain inside the car. He got out and there his arm was lying next to him. Oh. So he had, he had to carry his own arm up this mountain, you know, and then, you know, he decided that he wasn't going to allow that disability to get in the way and was mentally strong as an ox. But that just demonstrates that human beings, where did he, he didn't get it put in him. No. 
it was already there. That resilience, that potential to transcend our problems and, and look at them in a different light is all fire the gift of thought. And you know, thought is like Play-Doh. You can turn it into anything you like. Scary monsters, most people. So if human beings could learn to not be afraid of their experience and the feelings that they have, they'd do well in life. This has been amazing, uh, David. Just, just, just uh, the few, the few minutes that I've been listening, and you know, I've been taking notes, and I'm sure our listeners are going to go, "Wow!" Yeah. So that we can wrap it up and and uh, let them finish their ten thousand sure. steps. I'm, I'm going to ask you two, two, two things to end. You know, one is going to be how do people get in touch with you, sure. of course, but the other thing is, yeah, sure, you've left us with with so much gold. Is is the is the one other thought? that you could offer us to and offer the listeners to 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 yeah. end with well you know and, and there was no plan was there, there? Was no plan. <laughs> we just said, we just said see, see what comes out so i always go with the the first thought that comes to mind and then i let it settle a bit and bat it away and if it comes back then i generally will share that and what's coming to mind is something that i've been listening to recently is the work of a an enlightened gentleman by the name of Sidney Banks. Mm. All my work now, because I don't do interventions, I don't believe anybody's broken. I work with some really struggling souls, you know, from schizophrenics to manic depressives to people with severe eating disorders, depression, anxiety. They don't have it anymore. Most of my clients within a short period of time. So I'm really hopeful for the human race, and it's because of Sidney Banks's work. What happened was Sid had an enlightenment experience. He was a welder, Scottish welder, the 1970s. And he had an experience, an enlightenment experience, that basically, um, for want of a better description, he realized in a nanosecond that all human, human experience was created via these three principles. Mm. He actually talked about one principle. He made it more complicated, so us mere mortals could understand. <laughs> but his ego his ego had died, you know, so he had no fear. And he described his enlightenment experience, but he, he went on to live into 2009, I think it was. Wow. And he brought out a number of books and DVDs, like The Enlightened Gardener and The Missing Link. Like, for example, I've been saying for years that depression is, is not caused by what we think it's caused by, and they've just brought out a, 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 an article on that. I've been saying that since the 1990s. Thought is that powerful, it can change your biochemistry. Mm. You have an embarrassing thought, you go red. That's thought that did that. And your body responded, consciousness responded. So if I could share one thing, read Sidney Banks's work if you can. Look at, you know, you'll find them on Amazon, online. Listen to his, look at YouTube videos and clips. How is it that a welder with a ninth grade education all of a sudden can realize that the theory of relativity was erroneous <laughs> when he'd never been to a physics class? I heard that story and I was like, nah, it's not possible. <laughs> e equals MC squared. Really? And sitting there hadn't heard. He said, what does E stand for? He said, oh, it's energy. Oh, well, energy is infinite, so it can't equal MC squared. And the, the physicist that were with Sid at the time says, do you realize how big a number that is? <laughs> <laughs> MC squared. 
And he's like, yeah, but I don't care. It doesn't equal it, does it, if it's not infinite? <laughs> so simple. He said, look for simplicity. So it would be his work. And, and from, from me, the thought that's come back again, so I'll share it, is seriousness is an illness. Lighten up. Have fun. Enjoy life. Take a break. Go for a walk. And remember, from a business point of view, we're just playing a game. Mm. It's not real life. Work is a game. Have fun. Enjoy it. If you don't, play a different game. Yeah. What a great ending. What a great ending. Hey, David, thank you. And look, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, what's your website, domain? Um, and of course, you're based in the UK. Hmm. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in the UK. I travel all over. I love, I mean, I go over to the States a lot. I've never been to your part of the world, so maybe one Come day. Come down, we'll do something together. Um, it'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah, why not? Oh, you know, I'd love to. If there were some people listening and they wanted some support and they wanted to get in touch with me, you know, my role is to be in service uh, however, I, however I can, whether it be service from a business point of view or just a personal point of view. I mean, even with a business, it's all about people, isn't Absolutely. it, right? So um, they can reach me at davidkey.com. So that's David and then K-E-Y and then .com. And then you'll see on the website there's a thing, contact us, I think. And if you go there, you can click um, and write a ticket, an email, and it'll go to my support team, and then they'll reach out to me and we'll set, set up a call or something like that if that's helpful. There's some blogs on there. And um, yeah, um, details on my book as well. Fantastic. Hey, well, after this after this call, um, I'm sure you'll have a lot of people reaching out. So, to, or I hope so. Yeah, let's let's create some peace and harmony in the world by changing the story. Well, that's it. Well, here's what Sid Banks said, and I just finished with this thought, and I've reflected on this. He said, "You know, the minute the world wakes up to their true potential in terms of the truth." that all human experience and reality is created on the inside out by the gift of thought. Then he said, well, if everybody woke up to that truth, all wars will stop within 18 months. Mm. That's profound. Because you stop judging, be more forgiving, nicer to yourself. You have a better feel about you, a better quality. You're more present. You'll... I mean, for me, that's just that. What a what a wonderful thing to happen if it ever did. Maybe not in our lives, but I'd I'd like to think it's possible. So messages and and people like you doing these podcasts, are, you know, doing the world a favor. Yeah, getting out this understanding into the world is my mission. Yep. So thanks for the opportunity, Liam. I really appreciate. Yeah. Well, it. thanks, and and uh, I'll be up your way at some point in time too. Uh, my partners. Uh, uh, heading back to the UK next year, so we'll be up for summer. So you never know, we might just drop in for a cup of tea. Well, yeah, especially if it's in the summer, we can find a beer garden. We can find a beer garden. That'd be great. <laughs> That's fantastic. <Yeah. laughs> even better, even better. Hey, David, thank you very, very much again. It's been it's been fantastic, and we've had such a great, great chat. Thanks for setting it up, bud. Wow. Well, wasn't that such a journey? I loved david's story it was profound i love the insights that he shared with us it was profound and those three those three principles those three secrets the metaphor for life so i hope you got as much value as for me and i'm i left me wondering what's the movie i'm playing <laughs> and uh, is that the movie that i want to continue to play or 
should I rewrite the script? You know, I just loved uh, all the stories in the Groupon story. That was fantastic. Thank you very much for listening again. Uh, reach out if you'd like to hear more. If you've got any thoughts on podcast guests, if you've got any thoughts on the podcast, reach out, connect with us on LinkedIn. And as you know, from his own point of view, we're about helping leaders, teams, and organizations become exceptional by being more human. I think David's helped us all understanding what it means to be human and the power that we have with our own thoughts and that we can transcend life challenges. We can unlock this thing I call collective intelligence when we get together as humans. So thank you very much for listening and look forward to seeing you on another podcast soon. Ciao for now.